Hello and welcome to the DWD podcast, a podcast that for much of 2017 has taken a weekly look at the progress of voluntary assisted dying in Victoria. In this episode, we are wrapping up the progress that took place in Parliament with the passing of the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. We'll hear from Dr. Rodney Syme and DWDV President Leslie Vick uh, to get their thoughts on the historic achievement of Victoria being the first Australian state to pass a Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill. We'll also take a look at what will be coming up in 2018 in regards to assisted dying progress around Australia. Yes, after over 100 hours of combined debate in the upper and lower houses of parliament, the Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill was passed through with actually not too much fuss. Uh, the bill was passed through in the lower house on voices, which means that no dramatic final vote was required. After debate was finalised, the Premier, Daniel Andrews, held a press conference to discuss the success of the bill. Today's all about uh, emotion and it's all about uh, compassion. It's about providing to those who for too long have been denied a compassionate end and that control the power over the last phase of their journey. It's about giving to them that control, that care, that compassion and ultimately the respect to allow them to write that final chapter of their journey, to end intolerable suffering and to give people the dignity that they have been denied for far too long. I want to thank the Minister for Health, the Attorney General, and they won't mind me singling out the Special Minister of State for developing this model getting the best experts together to help us refine it and then for managing its passage through the Victorian Parliament. This has been a long debate and it's been a long time coming. So my thanks, of course, have to go to those who have been tireless advocates and campaigners for this fundamental reform, a reform that is all about kindness and care, compassion and dignity. Uh, this is... Victoria at its best, leading our nation. That is what our great state has always done uh, and I am proud to lead a government and to lead a state that has been bold enough not just to do the easy things but to do the really important stuff that all too often is quite difficult as well. That in my judgement is what leadership is all about and to all of my colleagues and to all of those who have assisted us in this work and to all of those who have run this campaign and fought so effectively for this reform, thank you very, very much. The Voluntary Assisted Dying Bill was spearheaded in Parliament by Victorian Health Minister Jill Hennessy, who has been a shining light of determination and knowledge in relation to the need for a safe and compassionate assisted dying law. The brilliant outcome in Parliament occurred because of the hard work that she and her staff put in with the legislation, and this is what she had to say on the day the bill was passed. It's been a very, very long, um, considered uh, and highly contested uh, debate in the Parliament, as we've seen over recent months, and it comes off the back of nearly two and a half years of work 
done and I want to give full acknowledgement to um, the Parliamentary Committee um, as well as the Ministerial Advisory Panel that did such a fantastic job developing a uh, very safe, compassionate and sensible framework for voluntary assisted dying. Um, this has been something that the Parliament has considered and debated longer than any other bill before um, and I think we've seen um, some fantastic contributions, we've had frustrating moments but ultimately uh, we have landed in a place where Victorians who are confronting terminal illnesses uh, that are enduring unbearable pain will have a safe and compassionate um, option um, around assisted dying and that's no small task. It's one of those things I think in life um, that we talk a lot about the start in life, uh, but we don't talk a lot about the end of life and um, I think one of the great values of this debate is we've had people reflecting upon death and what a good death looks like um, and I hope that the implementation of this bill and that work starts tomorrow uh, really does start to give people some hope and some compassion um, that a good death um, will in fact be possible for many people that are currently enduring um, really difficult, difficult ends of life. Both of those uh, bits of audio of uh, Health Minister Jill Hennessy and the Premier Daniel Andrews, courtesy of the ABC. Dr Rodney Syme has been the voice for supporters of voluntary assisted dying for a number of decades. His work has been almost unmatched in regards to his advocacy and knowledge on the subject. We sat down with him following the result in Parliament. So how does it feel to have finally seen a, uh, a voluntary assisted dying law passed after not only a very long campaign, but having fought for these laws for as, as long as you have? Well, it's a great relief. Uh, initially, it was just a great relief, and as time has gone on, I've I've been uh, walking on more and more of a cloud. <laughs> uh, it's exciting to have it happen after all that time. The bill itself uh, is complex. It's bureaucratically clumsy, I would say. It will take time for patient and doctor to work their way through the bureaucratic uh, requirements. Uh, but it's, it's just fantastic to have, for the first time in Australia, legislation. I call it the breaking of the damn wall. I don't think it will be too long before other states follow, particularly a very great chance in Western Australia, who is following a similar course to Victoria, parliamentary inquiry, Premier on board, Health Minister on board, control of the Parliament. Um, so I, I'm confident that Western Australia will pass, of course, the two territories, ACT and Northern Territory uh, legislation will come into the Federal Parliament to give them the right to pass legislation. If that passes, I think they will both pass legislation fairly quickly. And South Australia has got a real chance if, if the Labor Party is re-elected of proceeding further with legislation. So it's an exciting time. And it reflects the momentum around the world, which is moving strongly in, in favour of legislation. Absolutely. Uh, debate in Parliament went for over 100 hours. Uh, what was your impression of debate? Did you follow much of it? I did follow much of it in the lower house. Um, it was... I found it 
frustrating in many ways. It was a very respectful debate, but in the lower house at least, most of the members of parliament were delivering prepared speeches. It wasn't a debate in my mind in the sense that people made claims and then they were met by a specific argument from people. Um, it wasn't until the end of the debate that those sort of specific arguments were made. So in a sense, um, I wouldn't have called it a true debate. It was an expression of opinion by members of the parliament. It's interesting when you looked at the way members voted, it was supposed to be a conscience vote, but when you look at the way the vote split, it almost became a Liberal versus Labour <laughs> debate with the Liberals opposing the proposal simply because it was a Labour initiative. I think that had an influence myself as, mm -hmm. a, as a skeptic. <laughs> In the upper house, it was I couldn't watch it because it was appalling the way opponents of the legislation just engaged in a, um, a cantankerous filibuster, um, asking the same question repeatedly, asking stupid and inept questions, just wasting time. Uh, but um, I take my hat off to the three or four Liberals who supported it in the upper house mm -hmm. because I think they were under extreme pressure from within their own party yep. not to support it. And that shouldn't happen if you have a true conscience vote. That sort of pressure should not be put upon mm. members of parliament. Mm -hmm. I suspect it was. I have heard that it was. And I think that's very uh, regrettable. Yeah. Uh, some of the uh, standout MPs, Gavin Jennings, I mean, you just said that obviously oh. with the filibustering for him to sort of... Gavin Jennings' performance was just outstanding. How he kept his cool and his patience, his calmness was just astonishing to me as I watched part of that. It's not all of it, but what I did watch, I thought I would be exploding at this point, but he just kept battling on. And, of course, in the lower house, uh, the health minister, Jill Hennessy, uh, playing that same role. Yeah, although she didn't have to do all the work that, that, um, uh, that Jennings did. Uh, she gave a wonderful speech, and she did enter into the debate side of things. Mm -hmm. um, together, I think, with Richard Wynne, he, he was objective in his, um, his speech. Yeah. But, um, uh, no, Gavin Jennings was just uh, astonishing in what he did. And so I, I take my hat off to the Labor Party, the Labor government, who had the courage to pick this up and go on with it, obviously a contentious issue. Uh, I think they should be given huge tick for courage and determination. I hope they benefit politically from it because they deserve to. And also, of course, the Greens, uh, Fiona Patton of the rash, Rational Rational. Rationalist Party? Reason Party. Reason Party. <laughs> um, and, of course, those Liberal members who stood up in the upper uh, So the main amendment on the bill was to reduce the time frame for eligibility from 12 months down to six months, uh, but, of course, with exemptions for those with degenerative neurological disease. Uh, do you foresee any problems for people's access to an assisted death once the law comes into practice, particularly around that amendment? Um, Yes, for some people I do. We argued, Diana Dignity Victoria argued for a 12-month period on the logical basis that this is all about suffering. It's not 
essentially about whether you have a terminal illness or how long it's going to last. And I know from my own deep experience that there are people who have intense, intolerable suffering for longer than six months. One of those groups, particularly, and why we wanted 12 months, was the people with neurodegenerative illness. And we have that in the legislation, so that's one of our targets met there. The other group who I have considerable concern for are those people with chronic cardiorespiratory failure. And these people are characterised by severe difficulty in breathing. Uh, pain, chest pain, extreme fatigue, uh, very often loss of weight, loss of appetite. And they run a very protracted uh, terminal course and their suffering, because it goes on for such a long time, mm. can be extraordinary uh, heavy. So they are not catered for, um, which is my principal concern about having it come down from 12 to 6 months. So the law has been passed uh, and we now enter into a 18-month implementation period. Uh, what are your expectations for this time? Uh, or perhaps more simply, what do you think needs to be done to ensure the VAD law, the assisted dying law, operates well? Well, you've got to recognise that this is something entirely new for the medical profession. Doctors have in the past helped patients towards the end of their life, but they've mostly done it by utilising prescription med medicines, particularly opioids, um, with people in the last days of their life they've helped to relieve the suffering and, and hasten their death. That's not what would be appropriate here. Uh, people acting under this legislation will need to start a discussion with their doctor very much earlier in the piece than when they're very close to dying, because it's going to take time to work through the administrative requirements. So, plus, the fact is that since a person has to self-administer, providing people with large doses of opioids is not a very practical or effective mm. thing to do. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the medication of best choice, best practice is a quick-acting barbiturate such as Nembutel. So there's a task that has to be undertaken by the government to allow for this to be prescribed, which it currently isn't. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the medical profession has no, the vast majority have no experience with the utilisation and prescription of Nembutel. So there will be a big, big, big task to educate the medical profession, firstly about the legislation and how it works, Secondly, how to counsel properly end-of-life people. And thirdly, how to utilise Nembutel effectively. Um, next, of course, there's going to be a big task to educate the public. The bill is passed, everybody throws their hat in the air, but the vast majority of people out there on the street haven't got the faintest idea what the legislation allows. So they need to understand mm. what their rights are, but also their responsibilities. Uh, particularly family members' responsibilities towards their, their relative who may yeah. have intolerable suffering. Um, so that's those are tasks, and they've got to set up the review board, administrative things. So whilst it's in a way sad that they're allotting 18 months for that, because during that 18-month period there will undoubtedly be people who would qualify under the legislation who will have to find some alternative. Um, but 
Nevertheless, to have brought the bill straight in without all that preparation mm -hmm. would have been possibly a recipe for some disasters and, and bad practice. So yes, it is a very good venture, the 18 yes, month I think implementation. It's an, I, would, I would love it to have been shorter, 12 months would have put the, put the health department <laughs> under a lot more pressure to get on with it. Yes, true. Uh, and if they do find that they've got it all wrapped up in 12 months, I, I hope they will be able to say, well, we're ready, let's go. Because presumably there are people who are keen, eager to explore the option of an assisted death now, or uh, at least within the next indeed, year, month. In, indeed, there yeah. are. There will be, yeah. Will you be taking a bit of time off to not think about assisted dying at all for even a little bit, or is it just straight back to work now? Well, that it'll, got... be, it'll be a quiet time, uh, probably from about now through the end of January, but uh, people, I'm sure, will still be making requests for counselling. Uh, a lot of that time I have set aside to to do work on education programs. Uh, I also want to set some of that time apart to try and start and get stuck into my third book. Ah, lovely. Which is called, it will be called, I hope, A Completed Life. And I want to argue in that book the case for people who don't have a terminal illness and particularly a completed life applies to a lot of people who don't have much voice in our society and those are the aged and frail and people with dementia who of course are not really included into this legislation. My own experience of counselling tells me this is a big group of people and uh, I, I, they don't have a voice, they're, they're, uh, nobody speaks for them, uh, they're not in much of a position to speak for themselves and uh, I hope to be able to expand the argument and, and be a voice for them. And last but not least, Dying with Dignity Victoria President Leslie Vick has fought for voluntary assisted dying laws for a very long time. As president, her leadership has helped Dying with Dignity Victoria to be an important voice for supporters of end-of-life choices during the debate. So tell me your thoughts and feelings on the assisted dying bill uh, being finally passed into law. <laughs> well, obviously, Tyrell, it, it is a very welcome achievement, as well as a historic one. And welcome not just by me, but obviously the vast majority of Victorians who've long supported uh, law reform in this area. And it's, it's a very pleasing thing after a lot of work by a lot of people over a long period of time, notably our Vice President, Dr Rodney Syme, who's one of the heroes of all of this, that we've got to this point. Have you had a chance to chat with uh, other people outside of Dying With Dignity Victoria's organisation about the result? Have they sort of...? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, at this time of year, of course, because we're recording this in the lead up to Christmas, one tends to be at various uh, functions. So I've had quite a lot of people, actually, <laughs> <laughs> say things to me. And again, overwhelmingly, the response has been extremely positive. These were not people who were necessarily members of the organisation or anything like that, but interested, concerned members of the public who wanted something like this to happen, and now it has. So very much a positive response. As well as, can I say, uh, interstate. I've had communications from people interstate who are similarly not just pleased to see this happen, 
but it's given them a bit of a lift because most of the other states have made attempts in the past to change the law. They failed two earlier this year in the case of South Australia and New South Wales, and that would have been very disheartening for them, but now they've had their spirits lifted <laughs> because we've reached this point in Victoria. Absolutely. It seems like there was a, a really great reaction around yeah, Australia from absolutely. supporters um, in, in regards to Victoria's bill. So last time we sat down to talk for the podcast, this, it was before debate had begun in Parliament, and you said that Parliament debates that were granted a conscience vote were generally more respectful and knowledgeable as each individual MP has to be across the issue. Uh, firstly, did you follow much of the debate yourself uh, watching through it? Uh, and did you think that that was the case that occurred during the assisted dying debate? Yes, indeed, I do. And I did follow it. I live streaming um, a great deal of the time that it was on, actually. And over, overall, I would say it confirmed my long-standing view that conscience votes do tend to lead to better quality debate. Not everything was of superior quality, one would have to say, in the debate, but I think overall the point that I made earlier about people actually having to defend the position, whether it's in favour or against, they're not tying a party line, they've had to work out their own views and advance their reasons for it. And that can only be a beneficial thing, I think, in parliamentary debating terms. Uh, so it's been a massive advocacy effort during 2017 uh, with many people and organisations involved. Uh, who needs to be thanked through all of that? Who's, who's the sort of standout? Well, there's a very long list of people. Um, I've already mentioned Dr Rodney Sine, people who've led the way, people like Marshall Perron, who's remained a hero of the cause after his successful and later overturned attempt in the Northern Territory back in the late 90s. It was great to see him in the Parliament during the Lower Absolutely. House debate as well. Yes, yes. and he, he's one of those people I've been in regular contact with and uh, he, he's played very close attention to the whole thing. Um, I think all members of the Parliamentary Committee of Inquiry um, had to, to be thanked. I would say the Health Minister, Gerald Hennessy, who showed great leadership in all of this, not just in relation to the assisted dying legislation, but also the other legislation that passed last year in embracing advanced care directives and things of that, all part of a continuum of end-of-life care. She and Gavin Jennings in the Upper House showed immense patience and they were incredibly well informed in managing what was a very exhausting mm. and exhaustive debate in both houses. And many of us, of course, were, were up to all hours. I know you, Tyrell, in particular. <laughs> <laughs> and can I just say uh, to you that you have yourself played a very significant role in this, as, as have all the staff at Dying with Dignity, but your, your monitoring and activism on the social media front was really impressive and worthwhile from the organisation's point of view. Most, most important, our members, members of the public, and the Ministerial Advisory Panel in particular, the chair of that panel, Professor Brian Aller. All the members of the panel you know, played a very important part because they were framing, giving recommendations about the framing of the legislation after the committee had said there needed to be a legal regime. One cannot underestimate overestimate the importance of Andrew Denton and his team at Go Gentle Australia who, who brought a skill set and activism that played a really crucial role. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out but there were so many people really 
you know, individuals whose personal stories to the Committee of Inquiry and the Ministerial Advisory Panel's community consultations, all of these things, the Victorian coroner whose evidence to the committee, incredibly important. And the other thing that I think needs to be said here, it was very important that this was a government bill. And so we had the issue there of the Premier, Daniel Andrews, who actually changed his mind about this issue after a personal family experience. Um, I think that was a very important thing too. So a whole lot of things and a whole lot of people, I think, came together. Um, and it all, it all worked out in the end. And that included the... Although the vote in the Parliament ended up being relatively narrow in the Upper House, it was still a solid endorsement. Didn't quite reflect the overwhelming majority of opinion in the community, but nevertheless, it was, it was a clear-cut outcome. And uh, all in all, all of these things, as I say, came together at the right moment, and it's been a very, very important achievement. Uh, I know that Dying with Dignity is currently, uh, Dying with Dignity Victoria is currently putting, sketching out at least a bit of a campaign report uh, of, of what's sort of taken place over the last two years. And even just going through the dot points, it's astonishing at how comprehensive and sort of vast the attempt to get this piece of legislation up That's has been. absolutely right, Tyrell. I mean, it's very important to document these things, not least for the historical record, but also, as I mentioned before, the other states in Australia that have not succeeded thus far... I'm sure uh, they will be very heartened by what's happened in Victoria and most importantly the way it happened and documenting the whole process which was a very measured and careful and thorough evidence-based one that really took place over effectively two years quite apart from things that had happened in the past. Um, so that will be helpful on a more national scale, I think, in the end. It, it's, it's something that other people can learn from. Already, for example, in Western Australia, where a private member's bill is proposed for next year, but they've, they're underway with an inquiry, mm -hmm. and, and that's been a very important component of what happened here in Victoria. Um, and I do also want to pay tribute to the people who... In the past, like Colleen Hartland from the Greens, who had a private member's bill back in 2008, she's been a dedicated campaigner. Mm -hmm. Fiona Patton, who's made this one of her priorities from the time she first came into the Victorian Parliament, all of these things will be there in this documentation of what has occurred, and that'll be important for other people to learn from. Absolutely. Uh, just going back to that um, the large process over the last two years, I was quite surprised as were quite a few people to hear opponents of the bill suggest that the it had been rushed uh, certainly didn't feel rushed i have to say i was more than a little surprised i did as you know uh, a great many radio interviews and journalist interviews yep. during the course of the campaign and it was a bit disheartening i have to say and I, these are actually direct quotes from two different journalists. One journalist said, why has this suddenly popped up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, showing a fair non-knowledge of everything mm -hmm. that had gone over at least 20 years in this country, let alone overseas. And another person who said to me almost aggressively, why is this being rammed through? Yeah, okay. And again, these, as I say, these are verbatim quotes from yeah. these journalists. So they obviously hadn't noticed the Committee of Inquiry, they hadn't noticed the Ministerial Advisory Panel, mm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, yes, that's, that's an interesting thing. People's, I don't expect everybody 
to have been paying as close attention to it as we were. Obviously, we're an advocacy organisation, it's our cause. But I was a bit surprised that some members of the media were, mm. were just sort of oblivious, it seems, to what was going on over a long period of time. Uh, so to finish up, uh, I've been asked by quite a few people as to what becomes of Dying with Dignity Victoria now that we have an assisted dying law uh, in place, not operational yet for another 18 months, but uh, essentially uh, in the books, so to speak. Uh, can you provide a bit of an outline uh, of what the focus becomes as we move forward? Yes, well, again, this has been one of the somewhat surprising things that's been put to me by a number of journalists. I suppose Dying with Dignity will be closing down now that this... I would describe this as a beginning, not an end. You just mentioned that there's an 18-month implementation period, training, the appointment of the Voluntary Assisted Dying Review Board, a whole lot of things have to be put in place. When it comes into place in June uh, 2019, which would be the 18-month period that's relevant here, Dying with Dignity will certainly continue as an advocacy and educational organisation. We'll offer our skills and services and information to the government during the implementation period. But after that, we'll be taking a very close interest, of course, in how the legislation is working. Are people able to access it when they need it under the criteria involved? Are the uh, legal standing now of advanced care directives under that other legislation, which itself doesn't come into place until March next year? So there will be many, many things for us to be monitoring and checking and continuing to advocate for people having choice, control, access to quality care at the end of their lives. That will not go away. This, as I said, is a beginning, not an end to our activities. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it's been a very long year, so I hope you get a bit of a, a decent Christmas break before things swing back into action in 2018. Yes, I'll catch up with my Christmas shopping now. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, Leslie. Thanks, Tony. In other parts of the country, there is action and progress taking place with renewed vigour now that Victoria has a bill of its own. Western Australia is currently undertaking an inquiry into end-of-life choices, and the ACT has announced that it will hold a uh, similar inquiry during 2018, with a view for the committee to report to their parliament by the end of next year. Tasmania, South Australia and New South Wales have all had assisted dying bills defeated uh, within the last 12 months, but in all states uh, there has been support in their parliaments to reintroduce a bill in the future. That of course will depend on various elections uh, that take place and when the terms of their parliaments end and start again. At a federal level, Greens Senator Richard Di Natale has a pledge to make progress in regards to restoring rights to the uh, ACT and the Northern Territory for them to be able to debate and hopefully pass legislation of their own. New South Wales Senator David Lanhelm also has a bill to be voted on in the first half of next year uh, that would also seek to accomplish that. On top of that, there is work to be done at a federal level in clearing up legislation around the use of Nebutol for use uh, in assisted dying. Uh, this was not something that could be done by the state government, so it will be important to make progress here for the future in, uh, at the federal level. And that brings us to the end of this episode and for this series of podcasts for 2017. It's been a rather emotional ride, and we hope you have enjoyed our weekly updates on assisted dying progress. Uh, we certainly look forward to seeing access to safe and compassionate end-of-life choices continue to grow in Australia from 2018 onwards. 
If you have any questions in relation to how the law will work or anything else related to voluntary assisted dying or end of life medical treatment options, uh, don't hesitate to get in touch with Dying with Dignity Victoria. I will include a link to our contact page in the episode description. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.